From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. And today, I am, as usual, extremely excited to have one of the most renowned men in marketing and media as my guest. We'll be talking about the future of marketing and media with Rashad Tabakawala, CEO of Danu and Chief Innovation Officer of Publicis Group Media. Dano is a futures think-do company that helps clients get to the future first, ways that make tomorrow tangible today. As Chief Innovation Officer of Publicis Group Media, Rashad helps oversee two major media networks, Starcom Media Vest Group and Zenith Optimedia, which together allocate over $45 billion in global media spending. Prior to his current roles, Rashad was the founder and president of SMG Next, the first and most comprehensive futures practice in the media industry. Rashad has over 25 years of marketing and strategy experience across a wide spectrum of clients and companies. He has been recognized as a top marketing innovator by Business Week and Time, is in Advertising Age's Interactive Hall of Fame, and was an Adweek all- Media All-Star of Interactive Media in 2000. He is a much sought-after speaker and has written for a host of news outlets, including Wired, Business Week, Fortune Fast Company, MSNBC, and Slate. Welcome to Market Edge, Rashad. Thank you very much, Larry. Well, you know, with a with a background like that, Rashad, I just got to ask you the first question to get it um, to get it off the table that I'm sure you get all the time. In a world that's moving so rapidly to uh, to the the web for advertising and other platforms like mobile, why is America especially still spending so many billions of dollars on television advertising? There are three reasons why they are. One is a practical reason, which is it still remains a very cost-effective way to scale large audiences. Um, And so they need large audiences, and it's a way to scale them. The second is that the entire advertising ecosystem for the last 15 to 25 years, has, or maybe for the last 25 to 50 years, has been optimized around either the single-page ad or the 30- or 60-second radio or a television commercial. And so the ecosystem needs to change. And third, which is the real reason, which is a undefensible reason, is most people have a mindset that... Uh, is opposed to change. And so today, even though most consumers are spending 20 to 25% of their time in digital media, uh, most marketers are spending less than 5% of their dollars. How about the argument, too, that, you know, I, and I have seen no numbers on this, that a third of commercials are DVR'd or TiVo. Do you think that's accurate, or is, is more or less? Or, you know? My sense of the third is a good number, because, you know, it's unlikely to be more than 40% and unlikely to be less than 20%. 
because there's also people sort of walk out of the room, etc. But one of the key things, and this is sort of the economic challenge that a lot of large marketers have, is when they try to go online, and a lot of them are, and they find they actually come across a certain limitations. One of the limitations, it's, it's hard to scale audiences. Second is sometimes the economics are such that it's m- much more expensive to buy broadband video in good sites than it is to buy primetime television. And the third really is certain economics, like, for instance, search, which is so very powerful. A, either don't work in some categories which aren't heavily searched, which is you tend not to search for toothpaste. You do search for cars and sex and a whole bunch of other things. And the other is when you do do stuff for search, which is, um, you know, the average cost per click across all categories tends to be a 56 cents. So across all all categories, across all search engines, it's about 56 cents or so about there, which works out to be, while it is an outcome and not an input, which is not an exposure, that works out to be about $560 a thousand. So for for a marketer who thinks about cost per thousand, Again, they think about an exposure model, and they say, "Hey, I buy prime time at twenty dollar cost per thousand, and I'm buying search at five sixty, and they are spending more and more money in that, but they're sort of trying to recognize how do the economics work. So I think all of those are what they're grappling with, but increasingly clients are coming to recognize that if they don't want to be completely left behind with, by consumers, they need to adapt. You know you bring up the the whole the you know, search business and the sort of pay-for-click business. I mean, you know, when you look at the economics, you know, you belong to one of the largest holding companies of marketing services in the world, and there's, you know, four others that you probably could account on right. 80% of all the uh, agencies and services. Yet Google has somehow attained a market cap, even with its recent down uh, downdraft of its stock, uh, that just dwarfs, even if you combined all those companies, why do you think Google has just dominated so much? And is their number up, or are they going to continue to dominate the search business as it maybe moves to things like searching on your television or your mobile phone? Uh, I will answer those in two separate ways, which is first is the question about their market cap versus that of the ad agencies. I first of all think you know the ad agencies being in a service business uh, cannot actually be compared to a- anybody in their kind of business, whether it's technology or content. But more interestingly, why is their market cap much more than the next three content companies, which is if you think about Time Warner, Viacom, and Disney, and you combine those three, those even don't match up to Google. Right. Right. Good point. And that is that is probably more appropriate because that's both in the they're in sort of the advertising selling business. And I think the reason is a couple. The first reason is they have basically optimized giving people audiences, which is when you buy search, you buy an audience, you don't underwrite content, which is what you do when you buy traditional advertising. You know, traditional advertising, you get to your audience by underwriting content. Right. The second is, obviously, they have economies, technology that basically allows them to scale very cost-effectively much more cost-effectively than other businesses. And finally, and this is a very important thing, is they are very much in the content business. So though they claim that they are not, they're in the content business, but they're in the content business in the fact that they monetize content, right? 
So most other content companies create content and then figure out how to monetize it. They focus on monetizing, and those three things have made them very powerful. Yeah. With regard to you know the future, I have always believed that Google will continue to be, has been, and will continue to be a major player in the advertising and marketing landscape. I, however, do not believe that they will be the be-all and end-all and, you know, the one place that everyone has to go and sort of genuflect in front of, right? Uh, they will be similarly to what a Disney or a Viacom is in the traditional space. There will be five, six players, and and they will clearly be, they may be the number one player, uh, but there will be other players, and those players may not just come, you know, traditionally where people keep thinking about, which is, okay, it may be a Microsoft or Microsoft combined with Yahoo or something else. Besides those, there will be two groups of players that people are not looking at, one, three groups of players. One is people who are basically going to be coming from other industries. Think about Nokia, okay, right. uh, who, uh, and, and, and things like that. Second is people who come from outside of the United States. The U.S. is not the center of the digital world, right? It is Silicon Valley today is... But it's not, you know, if you think about mobile, China mobile has more people who use their mobile phone than the total population of the United States. Right. Right. So you've got all these other people coming. And the third is there are the future Googles, right, which is I've always basically believed that the future comes from the slime. We all look at the heavens, but the future comes from the slime. And there is somebody somewhere coming up with the next thing. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree with you more. Speaking of, maybe it's not the next thing because it's already here. How are you guys viewing the rise in mobile marketing? Is it going to be as big as the internet? Is it wrong to compare? I mean, um, you know, when we all started in '94, '95, selling ads on the web, we, you know, we got one percent of the budget, then we got three percent, and I don't know what percentage is somewhere in the twenty-six, seven percent now for major marketers, but. Where's mobile fitting in right now, and, and what's your view of, of mobile marketing and advertising? Our basic belief is the mobile marketplace will be a very large marketplace. It already is, you know, with about 2 billion mobile users. Uh, and there have been three things that have sort of held it back. Obviously, there are things that hold it back much more in the U.S. than, let's say, in Japan or Scandinavia, etc. But I heard this statement, which is kind of interesting, which is in Japan... Uh, Krista Wolf, the CEO of MySpace, told me last week, or in a, in a meeting uh, which I was with him, that 51% of MySpace Japan's uh, sort of interaction comes to the mobile phone. Right. Wow. So what is basically happening is the mobile is the way to interface. I just came back from India, and you know, people there, there are many more mobile phones than both landlines as well as personal computers. Right. So, so with that, there's clearly, and when you, think, when you think about things like Apple iPhone, which has really basically shown that if you give people a great interface, they're likely to use data 30, 40, 50 times more than other people. Yep. So all of those are good. Now, there are, however, a couple of hurdles. And the number one hurdle, I basically believe, is we believe right now that phones are going to be, because they're extremely personal, and their utilities, but also obviously used for entertainment, etc., that marketers should think about not phones as an advertising medium, but as a service-providing medium. Yep. And, you know, an example I give, and this is not done, but this is an example I've given uh, one of our clients, Hewlett Packard, which is, you know, 
people, they make a lot of money selling printers and obviously a lot of money actually selling cartridges, right? The, yep. the ink cartridges. Well, you know, one of the single biggest issues is you go into your, you know, Best Buy or Fry's or whatever, and you need to buy a cartridge, but you don't actually recall what printer you have because they have all these printer numbers. A great service would be, you know, someone buys a printer, signs up at their website, whenever they're at a store, and they say, I wonder what I have, you SMS or something, you know, H, uh, HP, and they basically say, here's your printer, here's what you're looking for. Right. That's a service. And I think services are going to be much more reported than advertising. And the other is, I believe, mapping is going to be the key interface, not just search. Right. Well, and there's companies like Digital Globe that are really the engine behind, you know, Google Earth that I right. know are working right now on the mobile applications. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, uh, before we take our break, I forgot to ask you, I should have said, what, what does uh, Danu do? What is its main mission for its clients? Well, the, the, Danu, which basically in Latin means a fresh and new, the basic belief is that if, you, if one is to get to the future and to do so in a way that is tangible, because clients say, hey, make it tangible so I can scale it up tomorrow but make it tangible, right. one of the key things we found is a key thing that holds people back are legacy mindsets. So we basically say let's start with a fresh sheet of paper, figure out what the consumer or the customer wants, and let's put together the best plan possible. So what we basically do is we sort of explain the landscape we identify appropriate partners, and sometimes we general contract amazing solutions, but we then work with lots of other specialists and other agencies to deliver them because we ourselves are just small. We're just about 25 people. And then you work and with your, your family of agencies to, uh, to help the clients actually implement these recommendations. Right, and the interesting thing about Danu, because of a fresh sheet of paper, is we basically work with any agencies, whether they be inside or outside the family, uh, including sometimes which clients who aren't don't utilize because we identify people that they may need to work with. Oh, okay. Because our basic belief is sort of our latest slogan is that the future does not fit into the containers of the past. Oh, that's terrific. i got to right. remember that one. Can I steal that one? Absolutely you can, but occasionally attribute it because we need business. <laughs> Actually, we're doing very well, but we can always, like any um, startup, we'll always like more. I'm sure you are. Well, we're going to take a short commercial break right sure. now, and please stand by. We'll be right Perfect. back with Rashad Tabakawala and more of a fascinating conversation. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. Can you believe how long it takes to order food here? Uh, here we go. Excuse me. She's not even looking over here. Great service is hard to come by. Whether you're sitting in a bar, restaurant, or creating effective search advertising campaigns. Um, excuse me. I think we need to go somewhere else. It's easy to feel forgotten, especially when your advertising budget is on the line. LookSmart serves up to 400 million queries a day with a side of the best customer service in the online advertising industry. Hi, how are y'all doing today? What can I get you folks to eat? 
You were right. This place is so much better. Look smart. Premium and performance advertising solutions. Uh, hello. Uh, welcome to our website. Website traffic isn't about paying for clicks. Okay, so I guess we're going to wait until everyone shows up and then we'll... Uh, um... It's about having the right content. So while you're searching for more traffic, the folks at InfoSearch Media are creating the content people are searching for. With InfoSearch Media, you can get more traffic for less money than PPC. So the next time you need to speak to your customers... Welcome to our website. They're already searching for you. InfoSearch Media. Get content that really clicks. Okay, so you're telling me that if I put the Go Currency Converter on my site, all my international customers can see how much they're paying in their own currency? Yeah. GoCurrency.com has free currency converters, language translations, international clocks, everything you need to do international business. So how does it work? Conversion elves. Conversion elves? Yeah, watch. Want to know what this will cost in euros? Check this out. Listen up, elves. We got one. $34 US. I need that in euros. Now, people. <laughs> We got it. Put it up there, elves. Wow. Currency elves. Who knew? GoCurrency.com. Free currency converters, language translations, and more. GoCurrency.com. The whoring of Facebook for promotional purposes continues with the WebmasterRadio.fm Facebook fan page. Join our fans by clicking the Facebook logo on the WebmasterRadio.fm homepage and keep up to date with all the latest. Become a fan on Facebook. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with the CEO of Danu, uh, Rashad Tabakawala, who's also one of the more famous media people um, on the globe and has helped build uh, Publicis' um, media groups, Starcom Media Vest and Zenith Optimedia, into a huge giant with over $45 billion in global media spending. Rashad, that's amazing. How, how, how can you spend $45 billion in media? I mean, what does that break down to, just curiosity-wise? How much is going online? How much to television? How much to print? And what are the things that are going up and what are the things that are going down? <laughs> Well, my, my sense is if you look at overall $45 billion, I would say today, probably if you look at all digital media, we're crawling close to finally getting into, you know, maybe double digits, yeah. right? And and the reason why it isn't higher or different is because that's a global number and there are large parts of the world where there actually are very few, you know, digital opportunities. There are other parts where there are a lot of digital opportunities. But what seems to be going up interestingly, is electronic media seems to be going up versus non-electronic media, which is television, radio, and digital goes up, and things like print and magazines go down. And right. this is a general statement. You know, in countries like India, print and magazines are going up because that's where the you know, life cycle there is. The second, I think, that is particularly interesting is the... Uh, certain things, like, for instance, experiences, events, and in-store are rising significantly versus traditional just broadcast media. And uh, that is primarily because more and more marketers are recognizing that either whether, you know, uh, Procter & Gamble calls it the last moment of truth, which is when you go and you pick up the product at the um, 
at the store right. or because increasingly they're beginning to recognize that differentiation takes place in various environments. And, you know, I'll give you an example, which is airlines, right? Uh, airlines increasingly, especially when it comes down to business class and first class, are recognizing that almost all the differentiation takes place before you get to and after you leave the plane, wow. right? Which is what's the lounge, you know, are they going to make it easy for you to get past customs? Will they pick you up in a limo and take you to a place? Will they give you a shower when you come to the other end? Will they give you a, you know, a haircut like you do in the Virgin Lounge, right? And right. so what's very interesting is that a increasingly more and more sort of money is going into sort of experiences versus just and experiences are becoming sort of a media. Yeah, I and I couldn't agree more. I I said in my uh, recent book that part of the job of the marketer of the future is going to have to create experiences, not just physical ones, but actually digital experiences. And and my guess is rich media, as it becomes more and more prevalent on the web, is going to allow for more powerful digital experiences. Do you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, um, you know, it is the ultimate, you know, to me, the biggest thing with digital media, and one of the things that have held it back, as I mentioned, was mindsets, you know, what's the right creative or what's the right messaging. But to a certain extent, the way I look at it is, up to now, most marketing outside of physical marketing, which is physical experiences, have been two-dimensional, right? right? Now we have the opportunity to do three-dimensional marketing. And my basic belief is if you're a really good marketer and you market it really well in 2D, you should be able to market even better in 3D, mm-hmm. right? But you've got to basically learn how to do it and stop evaluating everything through 2D criteria. Right. And that's just going to have to be done because – but that's, that goes to your point of, you know, more legacy, the way people used to measure. Uh, you know, they keep wanting to repeat that kind of measurement, but – you know, you're in a measurable business. How is measurement changing as the world becomes more complex in its media platforms? I think there are three key areas that they're changing in. The first is you have to decide more than ever before what you are trying to measure. There's this term that people use, which is return on investment, which I believe is a very good term, right? However, there is another term called return on objective, which is I keep asking, what are you trying to achieve? Because, in effect, a lot of the solutions in this new world, you can actually craft a solution to the objective, right? In the old days, the objective was I want to expose my message. I want to distribute this coupon. I want to eliminate costs, right? These can be far more interesting and engaging objectives. So one is what are you trying to uh, measure, and then what are sort of different metrics you can do to measure that objective? The second is there are a whole bunch of new technology companies, Uh, uh, one that helps you listen, you know, helps you listen to what people are saying on the web, whether it's, you know, Nielsen Buzz Metrics or Symphony, whatever, right? right? And then tools that ride on that, which is better understand what people are saying, which is an interesting form of measurement. And third is, as media becomes very cross-functional and cross, you know, sort of is in a, dist- in a distributed world where messages are being distributed, um, how do you measure video when the video doesn't just sit on television but can be you know, embedded in a widget somewhere, can be on Facebook, can be on YouTube? And there are new companies, things like uh, Visible Measures, uh, things like IMMI, that are coming uh, to the fore, which are far more sophisticated and you know, potentially either will be competitors to or potentially acquired by companies like Nielsen, 
Because model still, you know, is trying to adapt from the analog world to the digital world versus creating things from the digital world ground up. Right. Talk, talk to my audience is primarily marketers and and uh, chief marketing officers. There's been a lot of discussion about the evolution of ad widgets and sort of all the widget technology. What's your take on all the um, on all the widget ideas? My sense is I'm a big believer in them. I mean, it's, it's, in, it's an early form. And the reason is if you're a CMO of a non-highly you know, highly researched product or service uh, trying to leverage scale on the web, you eventually are going to have to utilize things like ad networks and AdSense and a whole bunch of other stuff. But when you do that, what you eventually have to do is you are not going to be satisfied with just a text link as your form of advertising. Right? Because a text link works when you are searching for something because people are looking for that. But in a world where you're trying to distribute stuff in content, a text link gets lost. So what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to basically have a more visual and more interesting application. And what a widget really is, is it's basically a small website that you export all over the web. That's right. the way I describe it, right? And, and, and it's a very interesting mindset difference, which is you have something on your website. You can make a small version of it and distribute it all over the web rather than basically having everybody come and visit, uh, you, know, visit you. But that's, I think, a very interesting challenge. The other challenge for CMOs, and I sort of mentioned this to some of my CMO clients, is they may have the wrong title, Right. right. I increasingly begin, begin to believe that what has happened is marketing is being outsourced to the end consumer. You're seeing this in auto, you're seeing this in travel, you're seeing this in finance, you're seeing this in pharmaceuticals, which is we are basically going and finding our own information. We're talking to other people, we're looking at blogs, we're searching engines, right? And the job really of the marketer is now to be the chief facilitation officer, allow myself marketing. Right. Yeah, I, I like to call it the chief aggregator officer. You yes, know, or, yes. You know, uh, around the content and stuff. But you're absolutely right. But you know, where the other thing you might see holding things up, as I do, is um, the way marketing departments are structured in companies. We still have the head of direct marketing and the head of PR and the head of research. And you know, I'm just now starting to see like the vice president of content or the the vice president of community or, or things like that. Are you seeing any creative ways of reorganizing these departments to be more effective? Yes. Well, we, well, there are two things I'm beginning to see. The first is there's a, a recognition by every CMO, CEO, CFO, almost everyone. As I travel around the world, like, you know, last year I did 150 flights, right? And most of them are with very senior clients. I mean, I was just presenting, you know, to the president of her company today, uh, in St. Louis, and last week it was, you know, to the president of another company. And what they will basically tell you when I ask them, what is your number one challenge? And they will say organizational structure. Yeah. Right? And the the key and the reason why they are struggling, and I, you know, I empathize with them, is we're living in a world where they have to run two models, which is today's model, the analog model of their current distribution and their current use of television is still going to be dominant for a few years. Right. Right. But they have to build a new model and they're beginning to recognize that they need to run two models in a world where they are both cost and, you know, otherwise constrained. Right. And so they're, they're looking at that. And part of it also is, and this is sort of the big, big challenge, I think, for the entire marketing world, which is, will we actually attract a great amount of talent, right? 
right? Because that's the key thing. When I look at young folks, right, or less experienced folks, instead of calling them young and old, right, okay. less experienced folks, right, what tends to basically happen is we aren't making the case that they should join the marketing and advertising industries, and these are the people we need to revolutionize the company. It ain't going to come from fuddy-duddies like you and me. I agree. It's got to come from bottom up. And I keep right. thinking, I'll talk to kids all the time and say, you know, you got to view marketing more like it's you're almost a you know creative producer. It's it's more campaign like. Uh, and I think that's where they're going to take this industry. And I think that'll bring in a lot of talented people. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I now recruit a lot of them, and, you know, the average age in my group uh, is 28 years old, uh, wow. which is sort of interesting. And and among the things I do is I sort of associate with things that they're passionate about. And, uh, you know, recently I wrote an article where I sort of defined traditional marketing as the way Hillary Clinton does it and new age marketing as the way Barack Obama does it. Yeah, we'll see how he does. It looks like right. he's going to win. <laughs> well, whatever. But, you know, the reality of it is you have a traditional brand, which is Clinton. You have the system and everything else, which is all the legacy. Right. And then you have some. Uh, you have an upstart, and the upstart's giving the legacy at least a run for the money. Yeah, it's almost like, I like to say, too, it's almost like the marketing we grew up in was more classical music, and today it's definitely jazz. Absolutely. Yeah. We are living in a jazz age without a doubt. Yeah. Hey, I can't let it go by since uh, you did meet uh, with Chris last week, um, who I know well from MySpace. You know, I, I've got to ask you the multi-billion-dollar question: How is advertising models going to play in the fastest-growing segment of social media? Um, my sense is there are two things that people have so far figured out. Um, and the first thing people have figured out is social media is here for real and will continue to grow because really it is people communicating with each other. And second is it's a fantastic medium to generate word of mouth, and word of mouth is the best form of advertising. So that much of the theory is true, right? right? The the practice is where the difficulty lies. You know, as T.S. Eliot, the poet, said, between the idea and the reality falls the shadow, right? Right. And that is what people are struggling with right now. And to a certain extent, there are three things that a lot of folks like MySpace and others are working to do. First is what they're trying to do is create safe environments. Because, you know, marketers say, I want to be here, but I don't know what environment I'm going to run in. And so what they do is they create these safe environments, which are basically their music page. So they sort of re-aggregate some of their audiences into their music page and their games page and a bunch of things like that. Right. Second is they're finding ways where they can ensure to advertisers that they're reaching the right people and they're reaching them, you know, in, again, you know, sort of a safe environment. And the third is they're working on metrics because the metrics of this, again, you know, tends to be different, which is how do you measure pass along and engagement and effectiveness. So it's it's still in the early going, but the reality of it is it's not a fad, you know, um, you know, user expression media is not a fad, but what may be the right marketing solutions is still unknown. Yeah, and I'm sure, like in times past, you know, a second evolution, uh, you know, uh, will, will help to more define that kind of thing. But I, as you know, I have studied the social media uh, 
uh, platform marketplace for a while, I think it's only beginning to have the impact that uh, it ultimately will have. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, uh, we're starting to wind down, and I sure. always ask this last question of my guests. Um, Rashad, just in the last couple of weeks, have you come across any sites that have surprised you that you hadn't been on before that you think are unique or different or interesting that you would share with our audience? Well, you know, I would say that right now the thing that I'm finding uh, sort of interesting are things like Tumblr. Yeah. Okay, and and that is because it, it seems that with every passing move, uh, the ability to basically communicate in real time. So it's you know, Tumblr to me is sort of Twitter plus or blog minus. Yeah. <laughs> right. And 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 and. And, and 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 why I find that it's interesting is our ability to express ourselves, you know, continuously is growing all the time. And my only worry, basically, is we'll all be so busy talking that nobody will actually listen or read. <laughs> that's very. That's a possibility, you know. Exactly. Exactly. So it'll be, you know, it'll be a one-way conversation in a two-way world. No. Well, uh, Rashad, I want to thank you very much for uh, being on Market Edge today. Uh, we, uh, our guest today was Rashad Tabakawala, and he is the uh, CEO of Danu, a division of Publicis. But uh, uh, also, Rashad, of course, is one of the most important uh, media guys in the business, having helped build Starcom Media Vest and Zenith Optimita for Publicis. Rashad Tabakawala, thanks very much for being on Market Edge today. Thank you very much. And everybody else, make sure you tune in again next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern U.S. time to webmasterradio.fm for another fun conversation on the future of media and marketing at Market Edge. Bye-bye.